Welcome to We Chat Divorce, hosted by Karen Chalou, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA. Each episode, we sit down with divorce professionals and industry experts to provide insights and frank discussions about real people, real situations, and real divorce to help you achieve your best life post-divorce. This episode of We Chat Divorce is brought to you by My Divorce Solution, offering divorce financial planning so clients can secure the divorce settlement they deserve. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to request access. Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Catherine and I welcome Hirsch Sermon today, a CPA trained mediator in CDFA. Hirsch helps his clients work through financial complexities, tax ramification, and inequities in the settlement process. Our episode today is all about tips to building a divorce strategy. And so in this episode, we're going to discuss how to identify your priorities in divorce, how to negotiate based on your values because it can be done. And that's what we're going to talk with Hirsch about. So Hirsch, welcome. Thanks for being here. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> but first, let me just take a couple minutes to um, meet Hirsch. Hirsch is, like I said, an MBA, a CPA, and a CDFA. He discusses the values-based approach he uses to help his clients prioritize, organize, and simplify their financial life during and beyond the divorce process. Hirsch is committed to helping each client understand the more complex tax and financial implications of their situation so they can create a divorce settlement that truly accomplishes their goals. Welcome again. Thank you. Thank you. So recently we were on your radio show, which was really good to get to know you. And I think we had a great conversation there. And I think today we're just going to continue that conversation a little bit. Um, and before we got on today, we were talking about a lot of people don't really think about their divorce from a values-based perspective. So, Hirsch, how do you help clients identify their values and priorities while they're going through this very difficult time? Yeah, you know, as we've spoken before, I think also it's it's often that they've forgotten what their priorities or what their values are. As we said, they've they've been enmeshed in this relationship. It could be sometimes 30 plus years that they've been in a relationship, and they've forgotten a little bit about who they are. And so Rediscovering themselves, I think, is very, very important. One of the things I do is I encourage them to think through their priorities and their values and really to live a values-based life as much as they can. So I walk them through. I have an exercise that I walk them through. I know cold heartless, MBA, CPA, CDFA, and I'm talking about feelings and values, right? <laughs> but I think it's so important to to really start with that when you're looking at building the rest of your life and you're building the rest of your life from before the divorce is over right and so i think walking them through this exercise where we talk about what's going on with the children what are your priorities financially the home and a lot of things are not necessarily uh financially based but you have to have the finances sometimes to support those activities as well so I walk them through this and really try to get them to think through a lot of the ideas around what are their values and their priorities. But then I think what's also very important in what I do is I do the same exercise asking them 
to pretend they are their spouse and go through the same exercise as though the spouse is answering this. And I think it's very, very important to do that, not just to identify your own values and priorities, but now you're also setting up a little bit towards a strategy. It's the beginning of it. Understanding where are some of the difficult conversations or negotiations going to happen, because sometimes you both want the house or you know something to that effect. Um, but it also starts to really set the 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 playing field as to what do you want and how do we work to get that. Yeah. So a lot of times when we're going through division scenarios, and you know, again, we're just providing the knowledge and the insights that they can then post divorce or towards the end go work with you or anyone else to really make that decision. But you have to understand if you're thinking, if you take your approach then and you want to think through, um, okay, what would my spouse say? Because a lot of people believe that they know what their spouse wants. Yeah. So, you know, we'll often hear, you know, oh no, he wants that. Oh no, she definitely wants that. You know, without even really listening, it's just their opinion. So to your point, when we put that out of a division scenario, and then again, provide the division scenario of what they want and see the contrast in those two, you right. realize it's it's not as common that they overlap. It's more of a power struggle on the emotion, the emotional attachment to some of those assets that why one party would choose it um, than the other. So I really do like that walkthrough that you do. Um, with them because we almost just do it in the data format. You, but, you know, even yesterday I was on with a client and she's kind of stalled and her attorney's kind of like, where is she? What's going on? And so we checked in and she literally said, you know what? She's so used to her husband telling her what to do and he's telling her where to live and where to move and this is where you can go. And so she can't make um, negotiations successful at this time until she decides that. And so, you know, right. her exercise today was going to the place that she thinks she'll like. But I said to her, just go there with the mind that he's not telling you what to do. And it's one of your options on where you could possibly live. And, and then you're making the decision. And it's so powerful when you know that you're making that decision, even though somebody gives you a suggestion, right? It's kind of like the process that we're doing. Here's your portrait. Now go work with your professionals to make the decision right. based on the knowledge. You know, it, it's it's funny. The very first blog I ever wrote that got picked up, um, I, origi- I I think I might have shared this on my radio show, but um, I called it Divorce is Awesome, right? And everybody hated the name, so I changed it to Perspective is Everything. But the idea was that, you know, and it was on a personal level, like my, my life had died, this horrible death kind of thing. But then I realized there's actually an enormous opportunity in reconnecting with myself, reconnecting with my priorities, the friends that I've lost touch with, whatever it is. But one of the pieces I think which is so important in what you've just mentioned is being able to give your permission to do things you maybe haven't done in 10 or 20 years, like make a decision or decide how do I want my life to be, not have somebody else tell me. So I think it is a very powerful thing to be able to have that aha moment sometimes where you get your voice back and you remember who you are and what you want. I think it's very, very powerful. Oh, extremely powerful. I kind of like your name, by the way. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> well, I find that a lot of times, and both of you will probably agree with this, that sometimes when people are identifying their values and priorities out of the gate, they're not really their values and priorities. They're their learned values and priorities, whether it be from responding to their spouse 
or just taking care of everyone's needs, right? So sometimes they have to be with it and understand and engage and go through the exercise and learn this information for themselves before they can even really know what their values and priorities are. I'm sure both of you experience that too. I actually start my exercise by saying that to, to people that these may change in two or three months when you really get a better handle of yourself and you learn more about yourself kind of thing, because they do. And, you know, I don't want somebody to think they're crazy. Like, wait, if these are my values, how are they changing a month later? Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily, as you said, it's kind of this learned response or conditioning that's happened that sometimes you're not quite sure where things are. Mm-hmm. I think that's hundred percent accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So moving on, um, Hirsch, how do you identify the items to give up when you're helping your clients negotiate a financial settlement? So it it builds, I mean, we we kind of through this conversation, I'm sure we're just going to build into the full strategy, but you know, and and when we say give up, it's really in in like air quotes. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. not really just giving stuff away. We want to be strategic in how we give something up. You know, so it again starts with your values. What are things that you want, and then what are things that your spouse wants that you really don't care about? And so anything that's not part of your kind of core values and core priorities that you identified as something to negotiate, to use to negotiate, I should say. So you give up, so to speak, things you don't really necessarily want. In a negotiation, very often it's how you position something that helps you get more of what you want. So being able to hum and haw around certain things that you ultimately give up uh, shows you giving, uh, you compromising and moving to the middle where maybe you really didn't care about something like that in the beginning at all. And if you go through the values and you both want something, then you need to take a little bit of a different tack. Like for example, often, I think the common one is probably the home. And okay, I want the home, but what could I get if I give it up? And starting to be strategic like that. Most people I find, or a lot of people, get emotionally attached to the home, not financially attached to the home. So if I'm willing to give that up, maybe that becomes something I can have a bigger ask for that I really, really want and and gain in that way. You know, and and then... Getting creative is another thing that I think is so important. I'll give you one quick example. I was working with a client and they, uh, we were running through this exercise and when it came to debt for her spouse, she said, oh my gosh, she's terrified of debt because um, very high level, basically they had, they had actually, uh, when, when he was a kid, they had declared bankruptcy as a family and he had to eat in soup kitchens and things like that. And so he was terrified of having debt uh, in his name. And so they did amass about $38,000 of debt at the time. Uh, Most of it was the attorney bills uh, between the two of them. And we said, all right, we'll take all of that credit card debt, but we want two years worth of interest. Well, two years worth of interest was roughly half of the debt anyway. You know, when you look at debt at almost, you know, credit card interest at almost 30%, it was almost half already. But that, that was the real compromise side. And then we said, but we want for that, and we named something else. So 
effectively she took the same debt that she was going to get if that makes sense half of the credit card debt interest paid it off already or the, the other half i should say and then she got an ask out of that to gain something beyond what she thought she could have so mm -hmm. again being able to look at these and become strategic and creative i think is a very big piece to that definitely creative and then also to know you know when you talked about the house when you gave that example is it that you want the house or you just don't want your spouse to have the house that's yeah, part of the emotional of side of it. Yes. That, you know, you don't really want the house. You just don't want your spouse to have the house for some reason. And I think when you can sit with that for a little bit and then play through this thinking out of the box and other options available to you and other considerations, then you'll quickly decide that uh, he can have the house or she can have the house. Yeah. Um, and there's more important things on, on that wish list. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to get on a, a soapbox real quick with the house because we do get emotionally attached, whether it's the emotion of, I want to win this one, or it's the emotion around whatever else is attached to the house. But, you know, people aren't always thinking it through uh, financially of the ramifications as they get beyond the divorce. So for example, I've got people that say, oh, I want to stay here for, you know, 18 months till my son or daughter graduates high school. Well, if that's the case, then, you know, you're going to pay potentially an enormous uh, tax bill on your capital gain because you only get half of the potential exclusion and now you've got to cover all the closing costs so that could be another you know four or five percent sometimes of the home value and it becomes a very uh, expensive proposition sometimes just to keep the home okay well let's balance that with the emotional side of whatever is going on. And as you said, it could really be an emotional side that that isn't really there. It's it's more uh, misplaced and disguised as I wanna keep the home for whatever reason that is. Yeah. I'm gonna add to that, that I do a lot of the budget lifestyle work with our clients. So I'm getting their emotions on the front end. And I hear a lot that you know, the house, the building, they equate to that as the home. And so sometimes they don't realize, or we don't realize I did the same thing, that for my children, the parents, the environment, the lifestyle, the rituals, that's home. And so as you move along and start to understand the financial impact of keeping the home or the house or not keeping the house, while understanding that the emotions um, just play a, a lesser part than the financial transaction itself. And so again, letting people go through the exercise of being with their emotions while understanding the financial impact, I think is so powerful. And that's, that's why the work we do, preparing people, building out, well, this is what you have, and this is the supporting documents, and this is what it means to you. And then being able to go to a mediator um, and a strategist like you, Hirsch, with that information, because then they're ready to make those kinds of decisions. Um, I think that's so valuable to people through this process for them during divorce and, and afterwards. And, uh, I'm going to share yeah. a personal story about that, Karen, you made me think of, because it's so true. I When I went through my divorce 12 years ago, I think it was now, I moved out of a very large house and I moved into a, a very small condo, which I think was a fifth of what the size, it was so small, right? 
And my son was a football player. So he was very large and all his friends would come over and took over the whole little family room compared to what we had. And I had so much guilt, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my kids have to come here. And they used to have a pool and all this stuff. And now they're in this little townhome. And we were only three miles away. So I couldn't understand why they always came to my, the townhome to hang up rather than go to this large house just a few miles away. And I'll never forget each of my kids, all five of them at one point, because I raised three other kids, came into that condo and said, oh my gosh, mom, it smells just like you. I could smell, I could smell your candles or I could smell your saucer cooking. Oh my gosh, we're having meatballs. It was never about how small the condo was compared to the house we were in. It was always about exactly what you're saying, Karen. It was about me cooking and about the scent of the house that they just felt that was home to them. I, I, so, I agree. I, I think it's so true. People equate the house as home, but you know, your children more than wanting to live in the same house, want to know they're still going to be loved. They're still going to be taken care of. They're still going to be the priority or a major priority in your life. And that is so much more important to them than staying in a cold home that doesn't have that feeling and doesn't have the safety and doesn't have the love. And so I, I think what you said is spot on. And you know, one of the things I like about your platform is it lays it out for you in a way that you can almost run like your what if scenarios. What if I do give up the house? Then what can I look at? And it's all laid out for you, which is one of the things I like about the program that in the platform that helps people, you know, really work through it in that respect, being able to think about it holistically as opposed to piece by piece sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And it helps them be aware of things that they would never identify or know about. Again, in the in the budget work, you know, typically our client will check that they want the children for um, dependents on their tax return to claim them as dependent. And sometimes I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'll note that here because I know when they get to the CDFA, not none of this spousal support is taxable. So, you know, it's something that you can use later on in negotiation, but they have zero awareness about it. And if they were just going through the divorce process with a mediator um, or an attorney without being prepared and understanding all these different financial nuances, you know, the, you, to your point, you're leaving a lot on the table that you can use later to get something that you want that because that is very valuable to someone else who has a lot of taxable income. Definitely. And I think sometimes, as you said, sometimes it's the nuances, the little things, um, you know, just from child support in Illinois, as one example, if you can keep, there, there's a cliff at 147 days, meaning the formula changes significantly pro or con, depending which side you are, uh, at that 147 night deal for children. So if you can keep your spouse to 12 nights of the, of the month, your support number gets jacked up way higher. And those kind of things become very, very important. So, you know, where do you start understanding this? Where do you end? Those are all things that are things you need to think about ahead of time. And part of that is, you know, really understanding your financial situation. You know, that's another, that's another area that gets me going because that's another place where one spouse, typically the payer says, wait, I definitely have my kids that more than those 12 nights, you know, when typically during the whole marriage, they were traveling, they were never right. there. And so, and so this is where a lot of point of contention comes um, when you're calculating that support number or 
that conversation can throw a whole negotiation out the window um, because it's it's like somebody's taking over what you always did if you were the you know the the parent who took care of the children all the time. Right. So that again is another place to know that child support is modifiable. So do you really want to argue this now or do you want to keep track of the overnights and then go back for modification later? It's true. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, I've got some uh, families that I've worked with where one of the spouses is in the reserves and, you know, every six months they go away for three weeks. Um, can that throw the formula off because they're not necessarily thinking about those one-off things that are happening as well? Mm -hmm. So true. And fighting that battle and litigation. So many times we see people coming to us who have spent more in litigation than they would have gained with the higher support number. But they they just they're not aware of that. So, yeah, again, being prepared and being smart is really important. Or vice so, versa to that. They've spent more fighting it then they would have had to pay in support. Right. So instead of paying support <laughs> to your spouse, you end up giving your attorney and her attorney or vice versa, um, the money that you could have had for your kids. Like uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, how I got into this business actually is I went through three major life cycles and one of them was my divorce uh, over nine years ago now. And, you know, that's why I called the company Life Cycle Financial. But I realize people, you know, we we don't teach our kids how to manage their finances or think strategically financially, and they just kind of go with what's there, and they don't get creative. They don't really understand. I actually created a program called Who Am I Financially because so many people just never knew. You know, um, they went basically from their parents' home to a spouse's home and took care of the finances, and they don't understand how to manage their financial lives. And try to learn that or, you know, try to, you know, get up to speed quickly while you have the stress of a divorce makes it that much harder, especially if you're trying to do it alone. So sometimes it, it does make sense to work with a professional to be able to get, get up to speed quicker because you are going to be making decisions that sometimes can affect the rest of your life like that. Yeah, absolutely. To create a better relationship with money. And I think it's great working with professionals like you um, because some I was raised differently, so I was raised by an accountant. So of course we all have that fi good financial relationship, right? But um, if you don't have that, a professional, even if you can wean off of your professional, you know, don't right. feel like you have to go it alone. That's why Hirsch, you do what you do, right? Yeah, I, I always say seek that help post divorce and have that confidant that you could talk to, and then wean off of them if you want. Yeah, absolutely. We only have a couple more minutes, but I don't want to miss this point. Hirsch, let's talk about, is there a way to know your starting point and ending point in the negotiation process? Yeah, you know, th this is something that I think a lot of people miss. And part of the reason they miss it is, um, it, it sounds pretty simple, but it's really based on a budget. I think the reason people miss it so often is the statistic is about seven out of 10 households don't have a budget to begin with. So it is a foreign concept to a lot of people. What I do, I actually created what I call a divorce budget. It's very different to the regular what comes in, what goes out budget. I actually ignore income up front and I look only at your essential spend. How much is absolutely coming in? I'm uh, sorry, how much is absolutely needed in order to live through or so to speak exist? 
And then we look at adding all the discretionary or that non-essential spend. And now we have our beginning point, which is the top line of everything full-blown life. We have a bottom line of what we absolutely cannot go between. And we want to come in, obviously, somewhere in the middle, hopefully closer to the top than the bottom. That's where we want to end up. But we have our starting point. We have our ending point. And all of that discretionary spend, that non-essential spend, you can prioritize based on the values that we ran through in the beginning. What are my values? You know, so maybe, you know, going on vacation, even if it's three long weekends a year is more important to me than something else. Well, that needs to be the first piece that you need to take care of as you're going through that negotiation. So it's based on starting with your values and then building that divorce budget, being able to have a starting point and an ending point and include as much of those priorities and values as you can. I love that. And I have to qualify that just a little bit because my role at my divorce solution is to build out your lifestyle as you've been accustomed to living it. Um, because that is where you start. And then you continue to work, as you said, Hirsch. And I find a lot of people will by default or because their spouse insists or just because they're afraid will re reduce their lifestyle um, which then has an impact on their eventual support calculation. So, you know, those two things hand in hand and being aware of what your lifestyle is and then how you can reduce it later based on the cash flow available to you, whether you have more cash flow or whether you choose to keep the home, which sometimes is going to suck up your budget incredibly that you know people just don't really realize well they it's become another slaves example to the why home. we it's another example why the portrait is so powerful is because once we do a budget with you like that and your portrait is complete then Hirsch that's when you take it you have an understanding of where they were during their marriage right. and you get to really have that financial conversation with them like this is what it could look like probably after and this is what it could so it's a it's a great um foundation for every professional to understand where this cup, where this person or this couple is coming from, and then help them look at it from different viewpoints of considerations for their more important asks. Yeah, yeah. Great, great compliment to that and, process. And it helps them look at themselves in a more holistic fashion, which I think is also a very important thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Hirsch, how can our listeners find you and learn more about you and your work? So the easiest and quickest way is just to remember the name of the company, Lifecycle Finan Financial, and the website is lifecycle.financial. There's no .com, .dead, .anything. It's just lifecycle.financial. And tell them about your radio show. Sure, absolutely. You can actually find uh, probably about 150 episodes on my website. Uh, it also has uh, the links to it. It's every other Tuesday. And it focuses mostly on divorce, but a lot of the lessons are beyond divorce. And we cover all kinds of aspects around divorce, not just specifically the financial. I think it's very important emotionally to be healthy because the healthier we are emotionally, the better financial decisions we make. So I've had on divorce coaches, I've had on therapists, uh, you know, all those kind of professionals help you make better financial decisions. And then obviously the mortgage and you know, all the finance and legal and all the rest have been on there. But go to lifecycle.financial. You will see a link for the radio show and everything is on there. So that's excellent. 
Okay, so this concludes our episode today on tips to building a divorce strategy. Thank you, Hirsch, for a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you. If you're considering divorce, make sure to protect your wealth with divorce financial planning from My Divorce Solution. Our certified divorce experts will help you untangle your finances and understand your settlement options so you can negotiate your marital assets with confidence. Protect your financial estate with divorce financial planning. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to see if you qualify to work with our financial divorce experts. That's MyDivorceSolution.com for expert divorce financial planning. Thanks for joining us on another episode of We Chat Divorce. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you're looking for more support for navigating divorce with confidence and clarity, head over to MyDivorceSolution.com for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and resources for your divorce. We'll see you back here for our next episode.